Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We are going to be in Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 18 today. Hey, we all know what it feels like to be locked out of something, right? Today we're going to talk about how without Jesus, we are locked out of heaven. Only Jesus can grant us access. But you know what it's like, right, to be locked out of an account or to be locked out of your house or to be locked out of your phone. Um, if somebody grabs your phone and tries to, you know, access it enough, then they, they get locked out. Here's a picture of a phone that's been locked out. This iPhone has been disabled. And if you've got kids, you have seen that. But, but I read about the person who had that the worst. A woman in China, according to this article, got an unwelcome surprise after giving her iPhone to her toddler. It says she grabbed it back to find that it was disabled for 25 million minutes roughly 47 years, presumably due to a truly heroic number of incorrect pin attempts. As a result, she was stuck having to wait for the timer to tick down or with the alternative of wiping her phone completely clean. She had to reset the whole thing. She was locked out. Hey, listen, when it comes to Jesus Christ, he came into the world because we were denied access to heaven. And the only way that we can be granted access to heaven, the only way that we can fix the problem of being locked out of God's presence is for Jesus to come down. So today we're going to learn all about how only in Christ can we be granted access to God's kingdom. Let's pray and then we'll get into Ephesians 2 together. Heavenly Father, we give you glory as we gather together again this Sunday morning. Though we are apart physically, we pray that your, your spirit would just fill us with joy, that your spirit would fill us with your wisdom and your truth. And Jesus, we know that you are with us. We know that you are with us, Lord, and one day we will be back together hearing your word in person. But for now, we pray that you would show your ability to meet us where we are and to speak wonderful truths into our heart. We pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are in Ephesians 2, and this section is all about the before and the after. Uh, Jesus came to transform your relationship with God. And so if you know Christ, there is a before and there is an after. There is a then and there is a now. We see that in this chapter because in verse 1 it says, you were, and then in verse uh, 4 it says, but now. Verse 1 it says, you were, and in verse 13 it says, uh, but now but God. So God did something through Jesus Christ to change your relationship to him. So let's read where it says in chapter 2 verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this is again all about then and now, and there are many different ways the Bible describes our relationship to God, but write this down. Number one, the starting point for everyone is the same. We had no personal relationship with God. You can write that down. 
we have to look into the Bible here, this chapter, where it starts by saying, and you were dead. And we have to realize that all of us start in the same position. We had no personal relationship with God. Jesus is the only one who can change that for each one of us. We had no personal relationship with God. You know, there was a time when I had no personal relationship with my wife. I had not met her. Uh, We were just strangers. We know now that when we were growing up, we went to the same pediatrician. We swam in the same pool, uh, right? We lived near the same town. And so we, we probably crossed paths, but we had no personal relationship. And that all changed when I was in college and my friend introduced us to each other and I called her and we talked on the phone and then we started hanging out. And then the day came when we got married. And here's a picture from our wedding day where we made our vows and said our I do's and we promised to spend the rest of our lives together for better or for worse in sickness and in health till death do us part. But listen, if if you had run into these two people just a few years before this picture was taken, we had no relationship. We didn't know each other. And guess what? That That was changed when my friend introduced us, when my friend brought us together. Now, when it comes to you and God, you had no personal relationship. You, according to verse 19, were strangers, strangers with God. There was no personal relationship. The Bible uses many different expressions to to show us where we started with God. And in just this section alone, it says we were dead, but God was rich in mercy. We were fallen, but God raised us up to the highest heavens. We were helpless, but God saved us by grace. We had no place among his people. We had no promises assuring us of heaven. We had no hope. Now listen, there are some people who are watching this right now, and your whole life You thought you've been good with God. You thought you've been best friends with God. You thought he's always been there for you. And listen, I have to tell you, the truth is you had no personal relationship with God from the beginning. That's true if you were raised in the church. That's true if you were raised on the moon. Your starting point universally is you were spiritually dead. And only Jesus can change that. You were spiritually locked out of God's presence and Jesus came to give you access. So it says in chapter 2, verse 14, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, listen, the dividing wall of hostility. Let's begin today with this portrait of a wall, a dividing wall of hostility. This wall is described as existing between us and God, so it's vertical. There is a dividing wall separating us from God. But it's also horizontal. There's a dividing wall in this uh, passage separating Jews from Gentiles. God's chosen nation versus those who were not numbered among God's people from the Old Testament. And there's this dividing wall of hostility that separates us from God, that separates us from his promises, and that separates us from his people. So there's this wall. Jot this down. We were divided from God and one another. There was a wall of separation, a wall of hostility. And that wall here, it's clear what it is. It's the law. It says that Jesus came to break down in his flesh that dividing wall of hostility. It says in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So he brings people together, so making peace 
and might reconcile us both to God. So there's this, Jesus came to reconnect us with each other and then to reconnect us as a new family of faith with our God. There's a wall, though, that has to be taken down, and there's nothing we can do to to take down that dividing wall. The wall of the law reflects God's moral expectations of us, and because we break his law, we cannot get past that. We cannot get past those expectations. We are therefore, by our sins, outlaws. We are separated from a holy God by our sins. The law also represents the religious and ceremonial and ethnic barriers that were set up for Israel that separated them from the rest of the world. And that, those barriers were a way to protect Israel and to preserve them, but they also made it so that we weren't counted among God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And we were therefore not among the promises of being God's own people. That's a big problem. Now, the Bible is clear that the Jews had the law and they broke it. And we didn't have the law as Gentiles and we broke it too. So all of us were, were uh, driven from God. There's a barrier there, right? But we were also not connected to his people and to his promises. When I think of a wall, when I think of a dividing wall, a great wall, I mean, what comes to mind, right? The Great Wall of China. Here's a picture of the Great Wall of China. And I want you to imagine that this is what the Bible says. You are on one side and God is on the other. You can't get through that wall because you have broken God's law. There's no way for you to get to God. Here's a few other pictures of the Great Wall of China. This barrier separates you from God. Not only that, but this is a way that that we can illustrate how we as a people, we as humanity, are hopelessly divided. God's intention for us was that we would become a heavenly people who enjoy his presence forever, but we can't do it. We are divided, and there's a hostility between God's people and between the people on earth. So what do we do about that? Well, we have to recognize that this is true. We're divided from God, and we're divided from each other. The Jewish temple in Jesus's day reflects this division, both of these divisions. Here's a picture of the Jewish temple. Uh, this, is a, this is a model of it. But what you see along the edge is you see a, a dividing wall. And what that was, was that that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews. So if you were a Gentile, if you were a non-Jewish person and you went to the temple, they were telling you that you couldn't go to where God's presence was. You were not allowed in there. There was a barrier, a wall. And there were signs on that wall that said, if you cross this barrier, you will be killed today. It was a death penalty. The apostle Paul got in big trouble just because they accused him of bringing a Greek to the temple. But here's the thing. The Gentiles were were separated from God, right? But the Jews, they could only go in to the outer court and maybe the inner court, but then the inner sanctuary, that was off limits to everybody. The high priest only got to go in there once a year and then he had to get out fast or God's judgment would come on them. The whole temple structure was meant to show that there's a wall, a barrier between us and God. And that also uh, highlighted how the rest of the world had no hope of getting even as close as, as God's chosen people of the Old Testament. Who would fix this, this problem, this wall problem? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ came down to knock that wall down. So we had no personal relationship with God. 
we were divided from God and from one another. How did Jesus break this wall down? Well, he came into the world and he lived the perfect life. He was sinless and he therefore fulfilled the law of God. This is really important to understand. God didn't take any of your sins and like sweep them under a rug and say, oh, I just won't count those. If he did that, he wouldn't be a fair and just God. No, what he did was he looked upon Christ and Jesus fulfilled the entire law. He was perfect in righteousness. And then Jesus laid down his life for you and me. He died on the cross. So in the Bible, when it says here, he uh, broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, what that means is this. When his body was nailed to the cross, when his blood was shed, he fulfilled perfectly the law on behalf of humanity. And when he died and went into the tomb, on the third day he rose again. And we just celebrated Easter last week where he was risen to the highest place and he now rules heaven. Hey, listen, because of that, he paid for your sins. He can take away all of the things you have done to break God's law that separate you from him. But listen, it's even better than that. He doesn't just take away all of your sin. He adds to you all of his righteousness. So, and this is the most unbelievable thing I'm going to say this whole morning. When God looks at you, he doesn't just see you as if you've never sinned. He sees you as if you have always lived the perfect life because Christ is in you. That's why Jesus came. And that's the only hope you and I have of accessing God's presence, of breaking through that wall. We have to be without sin and perfect in righteousness. And only Jesus can accomplish that for us. And praise God he did. So, number one, we had no personal relationship with God. But Jesus came to fix that. We were divided from God and one another, and Jesus came to tear down that wall. So I ask you this, do you believe? Do you believe that there is a great wall of separation between you and God? And do you believe only Jesus can tear that wall down? Do you believe that Jesus came to break down those walls and to unite you as a member of the new humanity a new, a new family of God called close to him from far away. Well, that's what the Bible teaches. Number two, you can jot this down. We were hostile, but Jesus brought us peace. We were hostile, but Jesus brought us peace. It says here in verse 15, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So this idea that there's this hostility, this enmity between us and God uh, is, is throughout the scripture is portrayed. God has wrath focused on our sin. And so God will destroy our sin. And we have wrath toward him. We don't want him telling us what to do with our lives. And the law, what, what did the law do when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai? What it did was it documented how our hearts are at war with God. Uh, you know, if you were driving around on a road before they got around to putting up the signs, you might not know what the speed limit was. But once they put up the speed limit sign, you would see that you were breaking the law. When God handed the Old Testament to Moses and to other prophets, that was a way of God showing, look, you're at war with me. And so when we break God's law, we break his moral code. 
And we also break his heart because he created us to follow him and to know him. So that reflects that there's enmity, there's strife, there's, there's hostility in our hearts toward God. And there is wrath in God's heart toward sin. So Jesus came to bring peace between hostile, warring parties. We were enemies with God. We were rebels. We were the resistance. We were refusing God with stubborn spirits, and we didn't want him to be ruling us. Here's some pictures from war, right? When I think of war, I think of, I think of that picture. There's, there's like a gun pointed right at the beach. And if you even try and come up here, right? And that's our heart toward God. And here's another picture. You know, we're fi- firing artillery, trying to blow up the enemy. And uh, here's another picture where we're just carpet bombing, right? Explosions and the destructive power of sin shows that we are at war with God. But here's the thing. God's at war with sin, And so God has rained down his judgment and his fire. And there's hostility. Jesus had to come to bring that peace. Now, when it says he is our peace in verse 14, he himself is our peace. We know, of course, what the Bible says, right? He will be called a wonderful counselor, all these other names, prince of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. He is the peace because he was uh, sent down from heaven to to broker this reconciliation with God. It says he is our peace, and in verse 16 he said he might reconcile us both to God. So only Jesus can bring this peace. Now when it comes to the peace of God, yes, there is a peace of God that transcends understanding. Yes, Jesus came to bring you peace during all the anxieties of life. Cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. Yes, but in this setting, that's not the kind of peace it's talking about. It's talking about a uh, a repaired relationship between you and God. And there, there's this hostility that Jesus comes and, and he brokers this treaty so that you and God are no longer at war with each other. That's the type of peace that only Jesus can bring. You can jot this down. We were at war with God. We were at war with God. There was actively a, um, there was a wrestling between us and God for control over how we live and who we are and what we do and where we go. There were, from very early on, there was this struggle with God for control over our lives. Uh, I found a, a hilarious video. Uh, somebody set up at, at, at the zoo, somebody set up this tug-of-war match between three WWE professional wrestlers and one three-year-old lion. So who's going to win, a three-year-old lion or three professional wrestlers? Check it out. Here's the video. All right, so who won? <laughs> that, that baby lion was sitting there looking at these guys like, is that all you've got? And they gave up. They tapped out. They had nothing. They had nothing. And hey, listen, I don't know where you're at with God, but some of you who are watching right now, you are still pulling on that rope with all of your might and you want to be your own God. And I just got to tell you, that's not going to end well for you. If you're still at war with God, I'm inviting you to end that struggle today. To end it today. Because, because that's not going to go to the place that you want it to go. You've got to let go and surrender and stop the fighting and raise the white flag. 
We need a truce. We were at war with God. This is our starting place with God. Now, some people uh, deny that this is true, and and they'll say, oh, no, no, I'm in a great place with God. But listen, the measure of your relationship with God is your relationship to his law. So if you're breaking his law and living your own way and and disregarding his truth and and filling your life with sin, you are at war with God. You, You can't be at war with his word and at peace with him. Other people are just very dismissive. They don't, they don't maybe actively go out and try and live a rebellious life filled with sin, but they just ignore God. They just, you know, they just don't care about Him. And that, that disregard is one way to not even acknowledge He is God. And that's not going to end well for you either. To just totally disregard Him and to give Him no thought as the rightful ruler of your life. That's one more way to have a godless heart. So where are you with God? We were hostile, but Jesus brought us peace. Now, when it comes to this war, this hostility, this enmity, it's vertical, but it's also horizontal. So jot this down. We were at war with others, and Jesus came to heal that too. It says that he he came to make us one, in verse 14, to make us both one. And then it says how he did it, by abolishing the law and the commandments and fulfilling them, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. This idea that he, the Bible says, kills the hostility between us, between us, is a wonderful vision of how Jesus is forming a new humanity in his kingdom. It says that he's making one new man in himself. Jesus is referred to as the new Adam, the second Adam. The first Adam didn't do a great job founding our race, kind of blew it from the beginning. And Jesus came along to repair the brokenness of humanity. So when we are called to him by faith, when we submit our lives and surrender to him and repent, we then become those who are of his kingdom. We then become a restored humanity, bound up to each other in love and connected to God as well. And therefore, there's peace. There's peace horizontally and there's peace vertically. So we were at war with others, but Jesus came to bring peace. Humanity is still greatly divided. Ever since the Tower of Babel, we're tempted to hate and despise those who are different from us in in any way. We're tempted to live life our own way and to not want anybody to tell us what to do. But, but particularly with those who are of a different nation, tribe, and tongue, there's just division. And the boundaries that existed between Jew and Gentile in Jesus' day, they didn't eat with each other. They didn't talk to each other. They didn't touch each other. So the thought that the Apostle Paul would be sent to the Gentiles and would be welcoming these non-Jewish people into the family of God, it was unbelievable. Jesus came to do that. So let me ask you this, if we see in scripture here this breathtaking vision of Jesus coming down to bring peace on earth among all the nations, a united new humanity bound up in love toward the Father, how are you doing at expressing and enjoying that wonderful spiritual reality? How are you doing at being peace on earth on behalf of Jesus Christ? How are you doing at applying these truths in your own relationships? Hey, have you repented of of any hatred you have toward others or or arrogance or discrimination or or haughtiness or just flat-out racism? 
Hey, have you emptied your heart of those things that are clearly against the gospel? Are you allowing the heart of God to be expressed in your relationships with other people? Maybe it's time, maybe it's time for you to forsake long embedded habits that clearly don't align with Jesus' mission to bring peace on earth among us. How foolish would it be if your right arm went to war against your left arm? And yet we are one in Christ. You can't injure people who are different from you. You can't injure people who are, who are of a different race, tribe, tongue, class than you without injuring Christ himself because we're his body. You can't injure those in the world who are different from you without injuring our testimony. Hey, have you repented fully of those things that grieve God's heart? When I think about our church and what we're going through with the coronavirus situation, I'm concerned about the economy. I'm concerned about the medical care people will need. I'm also concerned about how well we're doing at being united with each other and being peaceable with those who are out there in the world. Frankly, given the decisions that have to be made in the next few months, I'm worried that we as Christians could become opinionated or condescending or alarmist or contentious. And, and I, I want us as a body to be peaceable, sober-minded, kind, slow to speak, slow to anger with each other and with the world. And I wonder how we're going to do. This is going to test our ability to be loving Hey, listen, the church exists to display the peace of Christ on earth. Peace among ourselves, peace with those who are not Christians, and ultimately peace with God. How are we doing? How will we do? Number one, we had no personal relationship with God. We were divided from God and one another. Number two, we were hostile, but Jesus brought us peace. We were at war with God. We were at war with others. Number three, jot this down. We were expelled, but Jesus granted us access. We were expelled, but Jesus granted us access. One more way we learn about our starting point with God is we had no access. So it goes on to say in verse 17, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. That again highlights the Gentiles, us who were far away from God geographically and, and, and spiritually, religiously, and peace to those who were near. Those would be the Jews who, who had the promises of God and should have known better. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this is the great leveling truth of humanity. We all are cut off from access to God. We're all locked out. We share a common problem because we share a common depravity. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter your life, your family lineage, where you grew up. We have all fallen away from God. That should make it clear that we don't look around and, and look down on anybody. We don't even really look around and look up to anybody because we are all equally in need of a Savior. We've been locked out. We have been expelled and we need someone to grant us access in the spirit to the Father. When I think of being expelled, when I was in high school, I did something naughty and so I got kicked out. Not of school, but I got kicked out of the band. The band. I got a picture here of me in high school in the uh, Amos Alonzo Stag High School band, the, the Chargers 
marching band. And you can find me in there if you look hard enough. I was an alto saxophone player. Cool fact, the guy sitting behind me with his hand up in the air is the man who led me to faith in Christ. How cool is that? Later when I got saved, the girl sitting to my left, who I was not very kind to, she screamed when she found out I was a Christian. And she said, I prayed for you. And she did because she knew I was naughty. Anyway, uh, I got kicked out of band. I got kicked out. I couldn't come back. And then the director made me earn my way back in because I was a troublemaker. I didn't get saved until I was a freshman in college. That's my disclaimer. So I know what it feels like to be kicked out, to not be allowed in, and then to have to have somebody come back and, and bring me back in. Listen, when it comes to our relationship with God, we were expelled. Just like Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. That's our starting point. We have no access. Jesus alone can give us access to God. You can write this down. Jesus alone can bring us to God. Only Jesus can welcome us back to God. It says here, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Hey, do you believe what you're hearing today? Do you believe that you didn't have a personal relationship with God? You were divided from him and from his people. There was a great wall separating you from him and only Jesus can come down and demolish that wall. Hey, do you believe that you were hostile to God and he was hostile to you? That there was war and only Jesus can bring peace. Why? Because he took away your sins. Only Jesus can reconcile you to God and to other people. Hey, do you believe that you were expelled and that you were denied access to God's heavenly holy presence because of your sin, but Jesus came down to die on the cross for you so that you could be given access through the Holy Spirit back to God? And let me ask you this question. Is there evidence in your life that the Holy Spirit is in you? The fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Are you a new person or are you the same old you? I want to ask you to evaluate your life. The Bible says, test and see if you are in the Lord. And I wonder if you've honestly been mistaken. If you've been telling yourself you've had access your whole life to God. Hey, are you ready to look up and to see the great wall of separation of sin between you and God? And are you ready to ask Jesus to knock that down? Hey, are you ready to stare at the screen that's saying access denied? And are you ready to trust Jesus to get you in? Maybe you have had no confidence before God and you say to yourself, God could never save a sinner like me. The wall's too thick, right? Hey, listen, Jesus came down to save sinners. The Apostle Paul said, I'm the worst. I'm the chief sinner. There's nothing that you have done in your past that could remove you from God's gracious offer in Christ Jesus. Are you ready to invite Jesus to bring you back to God? Hey, listen, you're locked out. But right here and right now, Jesus can give you access to God. I want to give you a chance to respond to what you heard right now and to invite Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. Let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths, these before and after principles that we were dead and poor and fallen and and helpless, and, and we had no place with you, and no promise. We were at war, where there was a wall, and we had no access, and Jesus came to reverse all of that, to give us a relationship with you, to give us peace with you, to give us access to you, and best of all, Jesus came to unite us with a new family of faith, a new humanity, a church of God that is bound up together in love, 
that shows the world a better way. Lord, I know that there have been some people who have been longing for this their whole life. And I just pray that they would right now humble themselves, that they would, they would say this right now, wherever they are, they would say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Forgive me, I stop the war right now. I confess my sin right now. Jesus, give me access. Jesus, give me peace with God. Jesus, forgive me for my relationships with other people. Heal me and make me a part of your wonderful church so that I can be with you, part of your kingdom in paradise forever and ever. Father, for those who are praying that right now, give them the peace of God and remind them, Jesus, that you have said you will never leave them and you will never forsake them. We thank you, Jesus, for these wonderful truths, and we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. You are loved.